0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Koop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. God's a God of rhythm. We're created in His image. He created the world in rhythm. This whole world functions on rhythm. The planets, the stars, our solar system, night and day. He really created time, the seasons, planting and harvesting. God's a God of rhythm. We're created in His image. The world tells you to get balanced, Balance your diet, your exercise, your work, your children, your this, your that, and balance it all out. But balance is static. It's it's for a moment. And life isn't static. Life is a flow. And if you study the Bible, it's much more about rhythm. As urbanites, we kind of get into a, a world that's not so much about rhythm. We we have lights on all the time. We're not dependent upon animals the way we used to. We're not in sync often with the seasons. Farmers are more so than we are. And, but sometimes as urbanites, we need to just step back and say, I'm going to get in rhythm with God. You, you, your phone's in rhythm. You, you charge it every night and you sync it with your computer well we need to do the same thing with our life we need to get charged with god and we need to get in sync with god now the topic for this morning is seizing opportunities in the storms of life i want to congratulate you for being here on a may long weekend you could have done a lot of other things on a may long weekend but on a may long weekend you're saying man i'm going to be in church i'm going to get in sync with god way to go god created the week seven days he said the last day take a rest why? To get in sync, to be in a rhythm with him. Chronos time is the week, calendar, the month, the hour, the minute. That's Chronos time. Kairos time is those divine opportunities, those interruptions in the Chronos of time. Jesus at an appointed time came. He interrupted our time. Now, in life, sometimes struggles will interrupt us storms will interrupt our life and being in rhythm with god we can either freak out and say ah it's a storm where is god and just kind of get out of rhythm with him or we can say god where are you in this room and sometimes in the midst of storms he brings us back into sync with him so we're in rhythm with god so this day today's title is seizing opportunities in the storms of life James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it's there in your notes. James is the pastor of Jerusalem, the first church of Jerusalem, and uh, he's encouraging the people. So it's written by James to the people in Jerusalem, but it's written to the people for us. So whatever's written there is for you and I today. So just consider yourself a brother or sister today as James James writes to us. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. I like the last part of that verse a lot more than the first part. You know, I want to be strong in character and ready for anything, but I'm not so sure I want trouble. But yet James writes here, when trouble comes your way, it's an opportunity for joy. Our Lord said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. If you haven't experienced that yet, I'm just giving you a warning that in your life there's going to be some challenges. However, in the challenges of life, Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm there with you, and we're going to go to the other side. It's going to be okay. Look for the opportunity in the middle of the storm. Secondly, we need to ask ourselves, what time is it? Or what opportunities does this time afford? A lot of examples in the Bible, but one we can give you is Esther. Esther, if you read her story, it's a marvelous book. If you have a chance to read it this week, I'd encourage you to do it. In one sitting, just sit down and read the book of Esther. You talk about a woman who got caught in a storm. She was a winner of the Beauty Queen pageant. And, so she, and then she had a whole year of treatment, spa treatments and oils and baths and so forth. And then she uh, found out that there's going to be ethnic cleansing and her people are going to be wiped out. And she has to consider what time it was for her life. Her uncle says this to her. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Then he goes on to ask this question to her. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Really he's saying, Esther, do you know what time it is? Do you realize it's your time? I know there's a storm. I know that it looks like everything's going to be wiped out. But I want you to know for such a time as this, Esther, it is your moment. It's your opportunity. In the midst of this, you have an opportunity. Four types of storms we're going to talk about this morning. They're all found in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 4. The first storm we want to talk about is a storm in the circumstance. You could have a storm in the circumstance of your life this morning. It might be a storm in your finances. It may be a storm, a natural storm that's coming against you. Some type of storm in your life today. There can be storms in the circumstances of life. Mark chapter 4, verses 35. Let's go there in our Bibles. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us, let us cross over to the other side. In my Bible, I underlined the word let us. Aren't you glad it's us? Doesn't? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to the other side? If you can make it, good for you, but I'm going to the other side. He is in the boat with you, and he is going to the other side. It sounds like a small point, but it's really important to remember. If Jesus says you're going to the other side, folks, you're going to the other side. You might need a submarine to get there. You may need a helicopter to get there. You may need to get airlifted. You may need to be... I don't know what, but you will make it to the other side. If Jesus said he's coming back again, Jesus is coming back again. If Jesus said that in this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That means he's with you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He is not a hitchhiker. He's not only just with you for the good times for a little while. Your God, your Lord never leaves you and never forsakes you. If he says we're going to the other side, I want you to know this morning, you're going to the other side. So he tells the disciples, we're going to the other side. That's good news, right? We're going to make it the other side. So they get in the boat. They're on their journey. There's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of excitement. But then the wind comes up. And it says that there's a fierce wind. And the wind blows so strong, the waves are coming into the boat. Jesus knows he's going to the other side. So he goes downstairs and has a nap. He's in the bottom of the boat. He's having a sleep. You know, when you have the peace of God, you can sleep. You can rest in the middle of the storm. You know why? Because you know God said everything's going to be all right. So he's having a rest. Disciples come downstairs and they say to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? We are dying. Don't you care? We're perishing. Now, he told them they're going to the other side, but yet they said, now we're going to die. Jesus stands up and we pick up the story in verse number 39. He rose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. My Bible, after peace, be still, has an exclamation mark. That means that Jesus didn't say it like this. Uh oh, storm, go away. Oh, peace, be still. He didn't say it like that. Jesus said, with authority, peace, be still. Later on, the disciples said, who is this man who speaks with such authority that when he says it, it changes? There was an authority in his voice. He spoke, peace, be still. The storm calmed down. Jesus spoke to fig trees. He spoke to the wind. He spoke to the mountains that were there. He said, whoever shall say unto this mountain. So I guess it's not just Jesus who does it. He's also giving us permission to speak to the mountains of our life. Maybe we need to change things. Maybe instead of telling God how big our mountain is, maybe we need to tell our mountain how big our God is. And turn it around a bit. Say, mountain, be removed. I know there's a storm in my life, but I want you to know, storm. I want you to know, wind. I want you to know, mountain. My God said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. My God said he'd be with me through the end of the age. He said, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And furthermore, he said that I can do all things. He strengthens me. He'll never leave me. We we take that approach to the storms of life. See, the storm's not going to last forever. There's light at the end of this thing. In the rhythm, in the seasons of life, If you despair will set in if you don't realize that there's light over there. He said you're going to the other side. We need hope in our life. Faith and hope are connected. And rhythms tell us, you know what? The storm has hit me, but I know I'm coming through. He's taking me to the other side. I'm going to hang in there with Jesus. It's going to be okay. I'm going to be connected with him. So he tells them, teaches them about the importance of faith and speaking to the challenges in his life, in their life. So that's the storm and the circumstance. Much more could be said about it. But let's go on to the storm in the mind. That's your next blank. The storm in the mind. Mark chapter 5. They get to the other side of the sea. I don't know exactly how far it is. I went across once when I was in Israel. If you ever have a chance go to israel it's so worth it and i crossed the sea of galilee and we came to that other side and as we did i was thinking about this story i was thinking about what it would have been like for the disciples to step out of the boat that day and there they are they've had a pretty rough night the first part of the journey was a lot of hard work and they almost died during the night but jesus rose up and calmed the storm and the last part was smooth sailing and they land there and they get out, and I'm sure they just want to kind of relax and unwind and, and uh, just take it easy for a little bit. They had enough drama to last them for a while, but they're in for a lot of drama. In just a little while, there's a man who's going to come running out of the caves. It's kind of rocky, and, and there's some cliffs there. And out of the cave runs a man. His hair is all messed up. He's got literally nothing on virtually for clothes. He's almost naked. His body is bloody and bruised and cut up, and he, his, his eyes just show you that there's something desperately wrong with him the man is demon possessed he's been cutting himself living alone in the caves howling at night there's something seriously wrong with this man and as he runs down towards jesus we read that jesus says something to him we read it in verse eight he had said to him Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And again, we have an exclamation mark, so really we should read it the way Jesus would have said it. Come out of the man, unclean spirit. There is again this note of authority in the Lord's voice. The man came down, and he had this unclean spirit. He was filled with demons, and the demons spoke out of the man, and they wanted to go into the swine that were there. They had about 2,000 pigs in the neighborhood, and Jesus allowed the demons to go into the pigs, The pigs went running off the cliff and into the sea. Must have been quite a sight to see. I don't know if heaven has DVDs you can pull out and play back some of the old scenes. But I'd be kind of curious just to watch that one and see this man coming down and and all these pigs running into the sea. I'm sure the farmers, it was not their best day to lose 2,000 pigs. They could have been, um, I don't know what a pig is worth today on the market. But 2,000 times whatever a pig's worth, that's a lot of money. And you say, why would Jesus do that? I don't have all the answers, but some things that people have mentioned is one, He wanted to make it very clear to his critics that the demons that were in this man had indeed left. And that was a sign and a wonder. There was no doubt about it. They had come out of him. Another uh, idea that's come forward is that in that country, they were offering these pigs as a sacrifice to other gods. And Jesus was making a statement. I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I have the rulership and the authority over the powers of darkness. And so that might have been the reason. But the main point is this. The man was set free that's the main point. This guy was very, very troubled and he was set free. Where was his storm? His storm was in his mind. You can have a storm in your circumstance, so that's no fun. But I'll tell you what, it's no fun to have a storm in your mind when you've been tormented by demons because that torment, you can't take a pill to get rid of it. You can take a bottle of Jack Daniels and you can numb it for a night, but the next day you know it comes back. To get rid of that stuff, You need a spiritual antidote. And the only spiritual antidote is the name of Jesus Christ. He said very clearly, I have given you authority to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. He's given us as believers authority. He said, now you go, therefore, and do likewise. Cast out devils in my name. You shall cast out devils. There is an authority that comes to the name of Jesus Christ. Remember those old Westerns and the sheriff would have to get a posse together and go chase and get the bad guys? And then he deputize some guys. He would just say, here's, here's a badge for you, Joe. Here's a badge for you, Pete. Now let's go get him." And all of a sudden, they had a deputy. They had an authority. They didn't just have a gun. They didn't have, just have power, but they had an authority. God didn't just give you power he gave you authority power and authority and we thank god we have that today that we do not have to be troubled by the powers of darkness i'm so grateful for that if you're going to thank him thank him like you mean it amen we're grateful that we have authority over the powers of darkness so the man set free i won't take time to read all the verses you can read it later on today if you like but it says that he was sitting in his right mind. Now, this is very important, and he was clothed. Clothed. That means beforehand he didn't have clothes. Why is that important? Because Jesus cares about every aspect of your life. The man wasn't clothed. I can see him say this type like, of man, get this guy some clothes. His mind's free, but he needs some clothes. Then he says to him, very interesting. In verse number 19, he says, go home to your friends. The guy must have had friends at some point. And he says, go home to your friends. I think one of the things this guy missed the most when he was going crazy, living in a cave, cutting himself, was his friends. When loneliness, depression, when the enemy gets a hold of our lives and drives us into isolation... He wants to separate us from friends. Healthy people have healthy friends. Jesus is interested in your Facebook. He's interested in your Twitter. He's interested in your emails. Really, he is. He cares because that's where your friends are. He's interested in youth getting together on a weekend. He's interested in young adults hanging out and going away for a retreat. He's interested in life group. Jesus was interested in this man's friends. He was interested in the clothes he was wearing. He is interested in your life. said, so, man, that's kind of a bizarre story. A man coming out of the tombs, cutting himself. That happened way back when. I'm sure glad that doesn't happen anymore. I got news for you. They tell us in B.C., 17% of teens cut themselves. Next Saturday night, you won't want to miss it. We have Nancy Elcorn with us. She's a founder and president of Mercy Ministries. She builds homes across North America to help girls get out of a lifestyle that's been tormented. And you won't miss it. She's here only for one night. We're glad to have her. She's an international speaker, helps people all over the world transform their lives. And she's going to come share her story. So you got her on Saturday and then you got Bill Strickland on Thursday. We're just going to do something. Jesus does something for the hurting. We can't just sit here and have our little holy club and come and go and encourage each other and build each other up and tear each other down and go round and round and have our little club. We're supposed to do something. We're supposed to, and not just in Uganda, not just in Tanzania and Haiti. We're supposed to do something in Vancouver. Thank you very much. I love all those places, but I want our city to get better. We love the world, but I love our city. Amen. You could say, and I don't know if everybody wants to jump on board, but I know this much, Jesus is on board. If you don't want to get on board, you've probably got other stuff to do. We've got something to do, and we're supposed to help the hurting, the disadvantaged, the poor folk in our city. Vancouver's a nice whitewashed city, really pretty on the outside, Peel back the layers, and you, you got this kind of stuff. You have Nikki, a college student, receives a below-average score on an important exam. This hits her hard. The perfection she demands of herself screams accusations in her mind. When she arrives home, she's so distraught with herself that she takes a razor blade and begins to make small cuts on her leg and thigh where the marks cannot be seen. By punishing herself, she feels a release. Jamie's mother yells at her for not doing the dishes correctly, and Jamie feels once again that she never does anything right. She runs to her room, takes out a pencil, begins to rub burns on her arm and stomach as punishment. When she comes out of her room, the burns are hidden by her shirt. Becky has been abused, and she's tried everything she knows to get rid of the pain, the torment that torments her constantly. She has starved herself. She's tried bulimia, overexercising, and more. The only thing left, she thinks, that might relieve the pain inside the darkest chambers of her life is to bring the pain outside. She cuts and waits, anticipating that release will come. Nancy goes on to say, you may be thinking, I know someone who does that, or I do that, but it's not that big a deal. However, if you're inflicting any self-harm behavior on yourself, it is a big deal. Self-harm is the outward expression of pain and hurt deep within. Some of these signs and symptoms of self-harming behavior look like this. Inflicting cuts with any type of sharp object, usually on an area of the body that's not normally exposed. Constant scratching as a response to pressure or unexpected circumstances. Picking at scabs, preventing the healing process from taking place, burning the skin on a regular basis with the racer's fire or small heat conducting appliances, punching the body, including beating the head against walls or other inanimate objects, biting the inside of the mouth or, or the skin of the arms, hands, or legs, pulling hair out, including eyelashes and eyebrows. Girls who, and it's also guys she's writing this book for girls who self-harm often do to communicate feelings and emotions they don't know how to verbalize. Anxiety, fear, loneliness, nervousness, and anger are some of the destructive emotions girls try to deal with by choosing to self-injure. When you're in a situation that is stressful, what emotions rise up within you? What do you do with these emotions? You may try to find a way to relieve the intensity of what you are feeling or you may try to avoid the feeling altogether. Self-harm is a response to circumstances that cause overwhelming emotions you feel you cannot handle without creating external release. It's called the new anorexia. It's called a coping mechanism and 17% of our BC teens cut. Now, here's the deal. Jesus absolutely cared about that man. He didn't cast the devil out of that man because he was afraid of him or for the safety of the disciples. He wanted the core of that man restored. And I'll tell you what, Jesus wants a core of every teenager that cuts in our province restored. It's not just teenagers. We inflict self-harm in other ways. She goes on in her book to say, the final step to freedom is to realizing with the areas of demonic oppression in your life. Demonic oppression is not the same as demonic possession. To possess something or someone, it takes ownership of it, and Satan cannot own anything that is God's. He does, however, have the right to tempt you. When you become a Christian, asking Jesus to be your Savior, you belong to God. As you submit yourself to God, you can rest, knowing Satan no longer has power over you. You can actually have the power to resist the devil and cause him to flee from you. God gave you authority over anything in your life that is not from him, such as fear, anxiety, and depression. You can live free from the torment of the enemy by no longer tolerating his schemes. If you pray in Jesus' name, Satan is forced to leave. Today, we need this. Storms in our circumstances. Storms in our mind. Jesus took this man, set him free, got the clothes back on him, sent him to his friends. He cared about every aspect of this man's life. We can also have a storm in our family. Chapter 5 and verses 21 to 24. There's a guy by the name of Jairus. They've left that side of the sea, now they've come back to the other side of the sea. And we pick up the story in verse 21 of Mark 5. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. Now, in your mind this morning, paint this on your mind's canvas. They're coming across over the Sea of Galilee again. They stop Sea of Galilee is not there like uh, English Bay. It's not beautiful white sand. It's kind of muddy and rocky. So the disciples get out of the boat again. There's a crowd waiting. Take our crowd this morning, multiply it by two or three, and, and that's what you have. And they're waiting for Jesus to come back. He gets out. The disciples are with him, and they look up. And through the crowd comes a man. Everybody recognizes the man. He's dressed a little better than the rest. He's got his own kind of outfit on. He is the ruler, the ruler of the synagogue. Now, folks, that's like the mayor. That's like the premier. This is a person everybody recognizes. And as he comes through, they kind of move out of the way for him. And Jairus comes through in front of everybody. He gets into the mud. He worships Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I got one girl. She's 12. She's dying. Would you please come lay your hands on my daughter? Jesus, please. He has lost awareness of people around him. He no longer cares what people think about him. Previously, he probably thought, hey, I'm the ruler of the synagogue. I don't do that. If Jesus wants to come to my place, he can call my secretary, make an appointment, and come see me, and maybe we'll have a little time together. But when your daughter's 12, and she's your only daughter, and she is dying, and you're desperate for him, there's a humility, there's a faith, and there's a hunger for God that causes you to press through and just say, I must get to Jesus. I heard what he did for that Roman centurion's daughter. I heard what he's done, and I believe it to be true, and I must get to him. See, it works like this. You have facts, faith in the facts, and then after that comes the feelings. Don't ever live your Christian life backwards by feelings, faith, and then fact. It doesn't work that way. Feelings are always the caboose that come afterwards. First, there's a fact. His name is Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His name is God, Jehovah, Rapha, the God who heals. That's a fact. When you put your faith in that fact, even as the ruler of a synagogue, a man of notoriety, a man of importance, a man of wealth, whatever it was, he came and he bowed before that man in the mud. He bowed before Jesus and said, please come. Jesus looked around that day and said, Jairus, I'm coming with you. Let's go. Let's get over to your house. Disciples were there. The crowd heard it and they said, hey, let's go. There's going to be a show. We're going to Jairus' house. I always wanted to see where he lived. Let's go along. Paparazzi was there. They wanted to get a picture of the thing. They just wanted a story for the Jerusalem Post tomorrow. So they're following along, a crowd. Can you see it in your mind? Going along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and Jairus and the disciples and the crowd following and they're heading over to Jairus' home. Jairus says, man, he's hanging on. He's thinking about his daughter. She's dying. An interruption comes. A woman, she is on the other end of the social scale, an outcast, and she interrupts the entire procession. We pick up the story. We'll come back to her. We pick up the story in verse 35. While he was still speaking, he was speaking to this woman that interrupted. Someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you picture Jairus there? He's walking with Jesus. In the distance, he sees one of his servants. And the servant's saying, Jairus, Jairus. And he looks at the man's eyes and he goes, oh, this doesn't look good. The guy gets closer. He says, what is it? He says, you know what, we... Jarvis, honestly, we did everything we could. The doctors were there, the nurses, and uh, don't, don't bother Jesus. He's a busy man. Look at all the people here you could help. And uh, Your 12-year-old daughter, you love so much, she died. We, we checked her pulse. We checked the heartbeat. We did everything we could do. She's gone. So sorry, Jairus. I, I, I didn't want to tell you, but she's gone. Before that servant is finished speaking, Jesus says this, says, and Jesus heard the word that was spoken. He said to the, as soon as Jesus heard the word, he said to the ruler, I can just see Jesus putting his arm around Jairus. He loved that man. He says, don't be afraid. Only believe.' He says, he was saying, Jairus, I know this looks bad. I know they told you that she's dead. And I know we stopped to pray for this woman. But walk by faith, not by sight. I'm with you. I won't leave you. I'm the resurrection and the life. Lazarus comes out of a tomb. I have the resurrection power. It's going to be okay. Just believe. Stay plugged in with me. She's going to be okay. Hmm. So they move on. I should throw this in here. It might surprise you. God doesn't respond to your need. God responds to your faith. Lots of people have needs. It's your faith. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's trusting in him. And Jairus at that moment could have unplugged his faith. Jesus said, hey, just keep believing. I know it's bad. But this rhythm of life. This thing's going to pass. There's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Hang in there, Jairus. Hang in there. And sometimes it's bad upon bad. Have you been there where you've had bad news and you think it can't get any worse and you get some more bad news? You think, okay, this is it. I got bad upon bad. About that time, Jesus comes along, puts his arm around you and says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Fear takes your power, it takes your love, and takes your sound mind. Second Timothy seven. It's a spirit. Hang on to the spirit of Christ. There's no failure in Christ. So they make it to the house, and he goes in there with three disciples, James, Peter, and John, takes in three, keeps an atmosphere of faith around him, and he takes that little girl, and he says, little girl, arise, and he raises the little girl up. What a powerful sight. That's another tape I want to watch when I get to heaven. I want to see that little girl get up. She gets up, and she's walking around. Jesus is there. Mom and dad are there. The three disciples are there. And you can read it in the text, but I love what Jesus does. It just again shows me the tenderness of our Lord. He said, get the little girl something to eat. I bet she's hungry. She's healed now. Have you ever come off of a a sick bed or maybe had a flu or a virus or a a fever and and you wake up and you feel 100%? What do you want to do? Man, I want to get something to eat. I like that. a good steak or a lasagna or some dim song or whatever your favorite meal is. It's like, man, I just want to eat something. She's 12 years old. She wakes up. She's feeling 100%. She didn't wake up. She was raised from the dead. Luke says her spirit had left her, came back into her. So It's, it's an amazing miracle. But Jesus thinks about that she's hungry. I'll tell you what. I like Jesus because he thinks about the little details in our life. He knows the flowers. He knows the birds. He said, you're much more valuable than they are. Consider them. I care about you. He cared about the disciples in a boat. He cared about a man tormented in his mind. He cared about a little girl. He cared about a mom and dad. He cares about you today in the storms of life. Just be in sync with him. It's going to be okay. Then we come to a storm in the body. This is a woman with the issue of blood. Mark chapter 5, 25 to 33. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years. Does that sound familiar? How old was the girl? 12. Woman's got an issue of blood? 12 years. The little girl was 12 years old. There's something about the number 12. We should stop and just put that in there. 12 represents the number government. It represents a number of rulership. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 foundations in the New Jerusalem, 12 judges. Jesus was 12 when he entered into his father's business in Jerusalem. He said, I must be about my father's business. He was 12. 12 means rulership. It means government. And in these stories, we see something inserted here intentionally, that Jesus rules. And if you have him with you in your life, he will rule over the circumstances of your life. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so we, we see that inserted very nicely here. So, back to Mark tw- uh, 5, 25. Jesus went, uh, verse 25, A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, had suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. Wow she's had a condition for 12 years we have a headache for 2 hours and it's too long right you got a cold for a week and you think this is crazy i want to get out of this this woman has been sick sick 12 years she's gone to a bunch of doctors no medical coverage she didn't live in canada she's got to pay her own way and guess what the doctors took all her money she only got worse not better she's skinny her face is withdrawn she doesn't have good clothes anymore she's an outcast of society and she sneaks her way into the crowd. Everybody's going to Jairus's house. She sees him. And she does a real gutsy thing. A real bold thing. She pushes through the crowd. And she says, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. She's weak. She's tired. This is it. It's the last stance. It's the last effort. With every bit of strength she has, she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. And when she does power leaves jesus and flows into her and it says she felt herself healed but first there was a the fact jesus is a healer second there was faith and then came the feeling notice her steps verse 27 she heard if you want to write the blank in there it's the word heard faith comes by hearing secondly she said faith as a confession if you want to get in rhythm with god speak what god speaks Say what he says. If he said, I'm the Lord, your God, your healer, then say what he says. If he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, then just say what he says. But say what he says. Get in rhythm with him. She heard, she said, and then she acted. She reached out and she touched his garment. When Jesus said, who touched me? She fell and she worshiped him. One of the best ways to keep your healing is to be a worshiper of him. She wasn't ashamed. She didn't care who saw her. She worshiped Jesus. And then it said she testified. She told of all the things that Jesus had done. You overcome by the word of your testimony. Right there in that little message, you have a recipe for faith. Hear, say, act, worship, and testify. Very simple. Now, Jesus does something marvelous for her as well. Not only does he heal her body, he said, who touched me? And I can see this little woman, frail and, you know feeling better, but, I mean, she didn't gain the extra weight right away. She's standing there, and she's very much aware that she was an outcast, and she said, it was me. You know what Jesus calls her? He didn't say lady. He didn't say woman. He didn't say ma'am. You know what he said to her? Daughter, 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 your faith has made you well. What did Jesus do? Something so important for her. She didn't just lose her health. She lost her social status. In that moment, Jesus restored her social status. Every woman in the community, he was just saying, ladies, this gal's okay. Guys, she's healed. Everybody in the community, Jairus, you included. You could have had her stoned. Legally, he could have done that. This lady is with me. She's okay. Thumbs up. How many know that was as valuable as a physical healing to be restored? You may have lost credibility in the community. You may have been sick. You may have had a storm in your life. Jesus cares about your clothes. He cares about your mind. He cares about your social status. He cares about your friends. He cares about your health. He cares about your circumstances. Jesus tenderly cares about every one of us here this morning. He really does. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.